Good morning, church. One more time. Good morning, church. So glad that you're here today. It's going to be an incredible day. I was backstage and I heard Michaela say money doesn't grow on trees. Um, and then I realized I had always partnered with that, that statement. But then she said money does grow on trees. So I thought, okay, God, reconcile this for me. And I realized that money is paper. Paper is made from trees. Therefore, we can deduce that money grows on trees because there is no shortage of trees in kingdom thinking. Amen. Um, listen, why don't you stand to your feet? Let's just honor the word of God as we read our text today. We're in a series called A Generous Life. And I want to take you to Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. Look at your neighbor and say, whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Trust me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in the heart of our church, the life of our church. And God, I thank you for this series, A Generous Life. I ask that you would just challenge our thinking, challenge our tradition, challenge our fears in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. God, I thank you that as we receive this message on money, that you're going to begin to create supernaturally margin in our life. For those of us in the room that are waking up, going to work, working a second job, coming home in time to eat, shower, go to bed, doing it all over again, having no margin, no room to breathe. God, as we receive and we plant this word in our heart, you're going to enlarge our capacity. God, as Malachi 4 says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. God, we lean into the shadow of your wing right now. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. amen. Listen, we had an incredible acoustic set today, but that doesn't mean it's nap time, okay? You had your time of soft, gentle worship. Now we're just gonna have a little bit of fun. Is that all right? Okay, before we get to this awesome sermon, I want you to find four or five people, high five them, hug them, do something, then you may be seated. So if you were here last week, we talked about uh, in the first portion, we're good, Lawrence, thank you. In the first week, we talked about the treasure principles. So Jesus told a parable of a man buying a piece of land that had treasure in it. Uh, when he found the treasure, he went, sold everything he owned, bought the very field where the treasure lay. And I kind of submitted to you that right now, your giving on this earth is planting reward in heaven, in your eternal time in heaven. What we sow now, the Bible's very clear about. Um, in heaven, we will see 100 times what we sow, sow here on earth. That is, not, I'm sorry, what we sow times 100, which is 10,000% we're going to see in heaven. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. Today, though, I want to um, 
appeal to your brain a bit, the thinking center of yourself. Because I want to lay out what tithing is, what tithing looks like. I think there's a lot of misconception. There's a lot of bad information out there. There's information that is used to abuse people. And there's information that is used to not be obedient to what God says. And so I just want to lay that out because tithing is, is really critical. It's fundamental. We know in um, Scripture that God says you can't serve two masters, right? And he listed two masters as God and money. So money has the capacity to be equivalent to God in our own hearts and in our life. Now, I personally don't find a lot of people far from God that come in the church and get offended at the topic of money. Most people in the world understand that if you encounter anything of value, it takes money to run that organization. It takes money for that experience. People that are far from Jesus that come in actually appreciate that we have air conditioning right? They appreciate padded chairs. They appreciate amplified music. They appreciate that we're not, um, the preacher's not having to just scream without a microphone, right? They appreciate that bathrooms are clean. They appreciate that we have running water. They appreciate that we have toilet paper instead of leaves. The only time people really get offended when we talk about money, at least in, in my circles and what I've experienced, you may have experienced something different, but in my experience, People get offended at the topic of money when they are people that are supposedly following Jesus Christ, but don't want to trust him with their money. They don't want to trust God with the 10%. And so they get offended and they say things, silly things like, we're going to run new people off. No, actually we're not. Because people that are far from Jesus can respect the church that handles money God's way. They understand that, that life requires money. Are you with me? So money is important. So just take a deep breath, by the way. I intentionally had them take offering before this sermon so that you didn't think I was building up to the grand crescendo of the containers being passed. There is no more, there's no second offering today, okay? So you can just take this information. You can just let it kind of simmer in, in the pot of your kitchen and just look at, check it, see, you know, what the Lord is doing, stir it occasionally. But there's no pressure. I just want to give you information. I want to give you truth today. Because money is important. I, I have this pastor friend. His church was going downhill pretty bad. And so he gets on platform and he says, all right, church, we got to take an offering. Um, if we don't, we're not going to be able to survive much longer. We, we have to take an offering. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw out an incentive to the biggest giver today. I'm going to let you pick three hymns. And everyone looks around and they're like, three hymns, that's going to be amazing. I'm going to choose this one and that. I'm going to choose how great they are, whatever. You know? And so they pass the container, Ramona, and he's waiting. He's like, Lord, let the money come in. Let the money come in. And so the money makes it up to the platform. And the pastor looks in and he sees a $100 bill. And he sees ones and quarters and pennies and, and all of that. But he pulls out the $100 and he said, who in here gave the $100? This is the biggest gift. Who gave it? And in the back, there was a sweet old lady, and she raised her hand, and she said, it was me. So he calls this lady forward to the platform, and he was like, all right, man, thank you so much for being generous. Now you get to choose three hymns. And she looked up, and her eyes lit up, and she goes, I'll take him and him and him. <laughs> hey, the Lord will bless you in mysterious ways. He will bless you. In our text, Malachi chapter 3, 
It's talking about the tithe. This is, uh, we're kind of laying down principles in Malachi 3 for everyone to follow. There are a lot of critics about tithing, though, so I want to tread easy. I, I don't personally like to respond to critics. You know, people have said a lot of really uh, outrageous things about me or my wife or my family or this church or whatever. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've seen reviews online, and I mean, it's really funny stuff. And I've learned you can't respond to the critic, right? Because um, people who know you would never say those awful things about you. And the people that don't want to know you and that are saying those things wouldn't believe the truth even if you gave it to them. And so you just let the critic be the critic. That's their comfort zone. And then you just have to cut it off. However, because there are so many critics on the area of money and finances, so many, so many things that we hear, and this potentially could be something equivalent to God in our mind if, we, if we're not careful. I think I want to address the critics today. Is that all right? Is it all right if I just, I want to address the critics so that I empower you so that when you hear these thoughts, these lies that come into your mind, either from Satan or from your flesh or from your friends, you actually have the knowledge to respond to these lies. The critic of tithing. There are five critics. These are going to be all of my points. I'll introduce you to them right now so you know that where we're headed throughout the sermon. Uh, the first critic is the critic that says um, tithing was on, only under the law. Tithing was only under the law. The second critic is the critic that says tithing isn't in the New Testament. Tithing isn't in the New Testament. The third critic is the critic that says the church just wants my money. The fourth critic says, God knows my heart. And the fifth critic says, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I have too much jewelry to buy. All right, let's get down to uh, the first critic that says tithing was under the law. How many of you would be courageous enough to say that you've heard that or you've believed it or you've heard someone say tithing was only under the law? I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it. And, and good-meaning people believe that. People that love Jesus believe that. Here's the thing. Here's what we have to understand when we're drilling down to truth. Not every lie comes from Satan. Sometimes that lie comes from people that really love Jesus. They just don't know any better. But just because someone loves Jesus doesn't mean we adopt all of the lies that they believe. So it's not Tithing wasn't just under the law. Here's the truth I want you to write down in your notes. This is the truth that you should memorize as your response. Tithing was under the law and before the law. Tithing was under the law. That is correct. Under the law, there was tithing, but tithing wasn't only under the law. Tithing was before the law. Now, let me prove that to you in a few pieces of Scripture uh, here. We know in Genesis 14, 20 that Abraham tithed. Abraham was some 400 years before the law was ever written by Moses. Abraham tithed. We know that Jacob in Genesis 28, 22, Jacob tithed. Jacob was hundreds of years before the law was written through Moses, right? That in itself is enough for me to understand that tithing came before. Yeah. Like it's not like Moses had the law and all of a sudden we started tithing. It was, it was pre-Mosaic law, pre-Mosaic covenant. There was tithing. Abraham tithed. Pre-Abrahamic covenant, there was tithing. I believe there was tithing in the Garden of Eden. 
pre-fall, pre-sin, there was tithing. In the perfect state that God created, in relationship between the creator and the created, there was tithing. That's my opinion. I believe that you and I will tithe when we get to heaven. I truly believe that. I think that our rewards will continue to compound in eternity as we tithe him faithfully for all of eternity. Let's talk about the Garden of Eden. How is tithing represented there? Well, you've probably heard the story of this naked man, this naked girl, Adam and Eve. They were in a beautiful, luxurious garden, and the Lord says, there's one tree that you cannot touch, right? There was something that the Lord set aside for himself because he's God. It only belonged to him. It could be eaten, but it shouldn't be eaten because it belonged only to him. It was the disobedience of eating what was God's that brought sin into the world. Does this not look an awful lot like tithing to you? God says you can enjoy all of this, but this is mine. I believe that even pre-sin, God was setting a foundation of a tithing heart inside of his people. Not, here's the deal. God didn't say, don't eat of the tree because I don't want you to realize that you're naked. Don't eat of the tree because I don't want you to think you're better than me. Don't eat of the tree because I want to keep you as like, like confused little slaves, not understanding good versus evil. I just want you to know good. The whole reason God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree is because obeying that principle maintained the establishment of lordship in their lives. Right? You, you can't really say that you're obedient if you don't have the choice to disobey. If you drop me off, I, said, I say this all the time, you drop me off on an island with no one around, and I'm married, my wife is in the States, I can't come home 10 years later and brag on the fact that I've been faithful for 10 years. I had no option but to be faithful. In the garden, God wasn't going to create slaves to where they had no choice but to serve him. He created humanity. He created family that had a choice. The tree was there not to punish them, but to give them freedom in their choices. That's what the tithe is. God gives us so much, but he says, this is a portion of mine. This is what you don't touch. And when you honor that, you free up this lordship mentality in your life that releases more. So the first lie is, it wasn't or is only under the law. The truth is tithing was under the law and before the law. Uh, let's go to the second critic. Here, the other lie is tithing isn't in the New Testament. How many have heard someone say that? How many have believed that maybe at some point? Maybe you didn't believe it, but you've heard it, you've questioned, you've looked for it. Tithing is not in the New Testament, right? A lot of us have heard that. That's, that's false. That is a false reality. Tithing is very much in the New Testament. It is all through the New Testament, uh, actually. Jesus, while he was on his earth, earthly journey, tithed. Jesus tithed. Scripture is very clear. Jesus himself tithed. Now, if there was no other reference in Scripture than that, that would be enough for me as a follower of Jesus Christ to understand that Jesus did not rescind tithing when he came. He didn't get rid of tithing because he came. Jesus himself tithed. Okay? That should be enough, but I'm going to give you more. Some of you may have heard the, the sister of that, the brother of that critic, that would say, well, Jesus tithed because he was still following old covenant law, because he had not died yet, and grace had not come on the scene, right? That makes sense. 
Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Some of you are like, I hadn't thought of that. Now you're really confusing me. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down that argument for you. Jesus didn't tithe because he was following old covenant law and he had not died yet to free us all from tithing. He didn't do that. We, we know that's not the case because Jesus did break an old covenant law. It's called the law of Sabbath. He had no problems healing people on the Sabbath. Remember how the Pharisees got mad at him and condemned him for doing things on the Sabbath? He was breaking old covenant law prior to grace coming on the scene. So if Jesus didn't want to tithe because he was planning to rescind it at the cross, he wouldn't have spent his money while he was here. He wouldn't have tithed. He could have shown us then that we didn't need to tithe. Hey, guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to the cross in three years. Don't tithe. You don't need to tithe. Don't worry about it. I'm going to rescind that bad boy. He didn't do it. He exampled tithing because he understood that it was going to carry over into the New Testament. We see tithing referenced even after Jesus died. So isn't it so brilliant that we see it in the Old Testament? We see it in the life of Jesus, the great bridge builder between earth and heaven, between death and life. He was connecting tithing in the Old Testament to tithing after grace, the post-cross tithing. Jesus did it. Tithing was not just under the law. It was before the law and after the law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, it says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction Yada, yada, yada. You can read verse 3 and 4. This talks about giving. Here, the points that I would like to pull out, extrapolate from this text is giving should be punctual on the first day of the week. It should be personal. Let every one of you give. Um, I, I actually had so many comments last week about my teaching on money. A lot. I had more feedback, positive feedback, on my message about money last week than I've had in a sermon in the past year. It always amazes me how when I talk about money, people's hearts are really drawn towards the Lord. Even, I even had people come up after church last week and say, Pastor, I loved your sermon. I mean, I'm still not going to tithe. I'm not there yet. But there's something about it. Like, there was something about it that was drawing. And I love that. You know what I mean? That's like not condemnation for someone to be able to come up to me and say, oh man, it's drawing me. Still not going to do it, but... It's drawing me. It's a seed. It is a seed. And, and I just, I love, doesn't the Lord just love process? Doesn't he just love progress? And so um, I'm, I'm sitting here talking about tithing, and I'm, I'm, I'm believing that God is doing something more in our hearts than even when I talk about the goodness of God. If I just challenge us a bit as a people to believe him, to trust him, to put faith in what he says he's going to do, and actually follow that up with giving and tithing, Something happens. It should be personal. One couple came up to me last week and they said, well, I want to give and my spouse doesn't want to give yet. And I was like, okay. And they're both standing right in front of me. I'm like, oh, awesome. So God, what do I do here? Um, no, I'm kidding. We actually have that conversation quite a bit with people. And here's what we advise them to do. Um, we advise them to sit down with their spouse, 
So if this is you, sit down with your spouse and say, listen, I know that you, you don't really believe in tithing yet. You're not there or you're concerned or there's fear going on, whatever it is. But I really believe that the Lord has convicted me on this issue. And I'm, I'm asking that we agree that the income I bring into the home allow me to tithe on my income. And if you don't want to tithe on the income you bring, that's okay. God can work all of that out, but at least let me honor God with the portion that I bring to the table. I've never had anyone that I'm aware of say, no, you can't do that to their spouse. What I have seen happen is they see the hand of God, the favor of God begin to bless the spouse that is being obedient, and they jump on board and say, hey, uh, yeah, let me go ahead and tithe to you. So um, I just think it's, it's really important that we allow ourselves throughout this series to be personal and let everyone tithe that wants to tithe. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 16 also says it should be proportionate. So 10%, my 10% is equivalent to your 10%. Isn't that good? Isn't that so cool that we have equal access to partner with God? Like I can give God my 10% and it is the exact same as your 10%. So if I make in faith, let's just say I made a million dollars. That's a lot of faith. And I tied that 10%. And let's say you made $10. Your 10%, $1 is equivalent to the 10% of my million in heaven because it took equal faith, 10%. All right, all right, enough of that. What about Jesus? Jesus clearly tithed, but did he ever really preach on tithing? People will tell you that Jesus didn't. And that's a lie. Jesus clearly taught on tithing. You know, when Jesus was walking and just doing life, he was in teacher mode. Would you agree with that? When he told a parable, he was teaching. When he healed people, he was in teacher mode. When he just lived life, everything he did was teacher mode. We see in Luke 11, Jesus very clearly is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these religious people who follow all the rules, who think, you know, they're close to God, follow all the rules. And on the outside, they look really pious and religious. But on the inside... They're very bitter and angry and they're jealous and they're greedy. And Jesus is talking to them in Luke 11. Luke 11, Jesus had finished speaking. A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Uh, the Pharisee was surprised when Jesus didn't wash before the meal. Verse 39, Jesus said to him, Now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying you look good on the outside, but you're really dirty on the inside. Like it says, um, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs. In other words, hey, Pharisees, chill out. You think you're awesome because you tithe right? You think you're awesome because you tithe, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And here is where the sentence that changes everything. This is the sentence that just sets the foundation. This is the sentence that we can no longer ignore that Jesus is not saying that you and I should tithe in today's time. He's telling them, you tithe, but you don't love justice and you aren't loving. And Jesus clenches it with the final sentence, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. It means it's not A or B, it's A and B. You can't give money to the church and beat your wife and think you're good. 
You can't give food. You can't, uh, you can't give money to the church and not love the homeless and feed the homeless and be good with God. Like it's A and B. We have to love justice. We have to love love. But we also have to love the, the previous things that Jesus has modeled in New Testament with the tithing. All right, let me get to our next. I'm sorry, I normally preach with three pages of notes, and I have seven today. So I'm just kind of skimming, see what I can throw out, because it's all pretty good, but I don't have all day. Let me talk about critic number three. I like this critic. Critic number three says, the church just wants my money. Anyone ever heard that? The church just wants my money. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, the truth is this. You need to write this down. God will build his church with or without your investment. God will build his church with or without your investment. The church just wants my money. If we read Malachi 3 again, it's talking about tithes and offering and giving to God. And to understand this passage, there's a point I want to make, but I'm going to jump back to Malachi chapter 2. To understand the context of Malachi 3, we have to jump back to Malachi 2. And it says, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. They're talking about Levi. And I gave them to him this called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and up uprightness and turned many from sin for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth but you have turned from the way and your teaching have caused many to stumble you have violated the covenant with Levi says the Lord Almighty so I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law the situation is dire here let me just unpack that the priests had become corrupt So people were tithing, the priests had become corrupt, and then as a result, they stopped tithing. So we see in Malachi this kind of butt whooping for everyone involved. Like, hey, priests, you shouldn't have been corrupt, but hey, people, you shouldn't have stopped tithing. Like your tithing isn't dependent on the priest level of corruption. And I know what you're thinking. You know, the church doesn't need my money. All they're going to do, they're going to take my money and buy couches. I know that's what, I know you've said it. I hope my tithe didn't go to that yellow one. (laughs) The beauty of tithing is that your portion stops once it leaves your hand. Your reward is secured once your tithe leaves your hand. The, The priest, priest meaning organization, me, staff, Whatever you give to, the missionary in Africa, whatever it is, you know, that you're, you're trusting God, you want to build kingdoms, so you give to that organization or your church or whatever. Once it leaves your hand, you're not accountable for what happens after that. And that's the great thing. The money could be mishandled. It could be misused. You could give to some great Christian university and then find out that there was money laundering, whatever that is. Like, that doesn't negate the reward that you get for your obedience to God. It's, it is okay. It is, oh, it is okay for you to trust God and not fully trust where the money's going. 
as long as that place represents the heart and the nature of God, you're just obedient to what he's called you to do. I, I tell my staff, the staff, the team here, and I have for years. Uh, we've had staff come and go. Jenny and Travis were on team for a bit, and uh, they're still a vibrant part of our church. You probably heard me say this when you guys were with us a few years back, but I tell our team, like, you're not responsible for me getting the right mountain. So if I look at a mountain and I say, hey, God has called me to take that mountain. Come on, team, let's rally the troops. An example would be, hey, God has called us to three services. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. Like, we're going to do three services. And children's ministers is like, what? And everybody's like antsy. And the team's like, all right, pastor, are you sure about this? No, I'm not. But I think it's right. I think that's the mountain. And we muster all that we can. We get unity and we... we we go up that mountain, and it's, it's a climb, let me tell you. We're going to fall, and we're going to skin our knees. We're going to twist our ankle. We're going to, you know, we're going to sweat, and we're going to bleed a little bit. We're going to be tired, and we get to the top of the mountain, and when I stand there and visibility is clear, I say, oh, my gosh. We were supposed to go to that mountain. And I look back at the team, and they're sweating, and they're like, the mountain that's like 100 yards away? Yeah, that mountain. I'm sorry, can we... Can we go back down the mountain and go back to the right mountain? So we go down the mountain and we're falling down the way and then we climb and we start all over again. Can I just tell you something? The people that are following the leader are not held accountable for climbing the wrong mountain. They're just held accountable for climbing the mountain that the leader says to climb. The leader is accountable for mishearing God about the wrong mountain. And let me just tell you, oh man, it's not fun. Whenever God has to say, hey, you missed the mountain. And look at all these people that you brought with you and look how tired they are. And look how you have to own this and you have to go back to them and say, I'm, I miss the mountain. But can we climb again, just a different place? It's tough. The church doesn't need your money, because God will raise up a people that are passionate enough about spreading the gospel and the kingdom, that are free enough with the gifts that God has given them to do what God wants to do among us. It's not about the church needing your money. It's about you partnering with an incredible opportunity that God allows you to have. It's not just about the money, though. It is about ministry, quite frankly. Your money does create an encounter for people. It does. Your money creates opportunities for us. I was reading, this is totally off the cuff. I was reading a book yesterday. I think I took a picture of it. Can I check? Thanks. Oh, man, I hope I took a picture. It was incredible. Oh, I don't have my glasses. World religions. Every major world religion has one thing and one thing only in common generosity. Atheism. Richard Dawkins, an atheist, 
says, let us try to teach generosity and altruism because we are born selfish. Buddhism. Buddha says, teach this triple truth to all. A generous heart, kind speech, and a life of service and compassion are the things which renew humanity. Confucius says, Confucianism, it's a real thing. Confucius says, he who wishes to secure the good of others has already secured his own. Hinduism. Hinduism says, they who give have all things. They who withhold have nothing. Islam. Islam says, you shall never be truly righteous until you give alms. Give in alms what you dearly cherish. Judaism, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. King Solomon said that in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not trying to like create diversity of religion here. The point is, generosity made it into every single religion that exists today. That's kind of a big deal. right? Clearly, it is a, a fundamental truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so important that every false religion needs to copy it lest they feel no one would accept them as a true religion. Did I say the fourth critic? Fourth critic says, God knows my heart. Here's the truth. A surrendered heart is an obedient heart. If you have truly surrendered to God in your life, you will obey his commandments. This is how they will know that you love me, that you keep my commandments. Tithing is not about legalism. How many have heard of legalism before? Legalism is religious laws and structures enforcing a works-based salvation. Can I just throw this out there on the table right now for all to see? And let me just point to it and make it loud and clear. Salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. There's nothing you can do. Jesus Christ paid it all on Calvary for you and me. I'm not talking, when I talk about tithing, I'm not talking about your salvation. It's free. If you want it, you got it. The clincher is obedience is where we get rewards. You can actually spend eternity in heaven with no additional rewards. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be great anyway. Right? I mean, oh, dang, I only got heaven forever. No, that's, that's going to be huge. But our obedience on earth and our giving on earth, the, the scripture says we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. A surrendered heart is an obedient heart. The New Testament always goes above and beyond the law. If tithing 10% was in the Old Testament, grace doesn't do away with 10%, it increases it. In fact, in every single instance of giving in the New Testament, none of it falls short of 10%. None of it. There's not one single example. Case in point, women, the, the woman who had... Uh, the, the woman that had two coins, right? She gave 100% of all that she had. That was under grace. Grace will always elevate it. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. My final critic today, and then I'm done. 
The critic says, I can't afford to tithe. How many of you have thought that before? I've thought that before. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. And then you've heard the cliche, well, you just can't afford not to, right? Don't you want to just kick people that say that to you? Shut up. I mean, it is true, but here's the, here's the truth that I want you to write down. 90 blessed is better than 100 stressed. 90 blessed is better than 100 stressed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that once you start tithing, you have no issues. I'm not saying that at all. I am simply saying that having issues under the covering of God is a lot safer and a lot better than having issues outside the covering of God. So press on, faithful soldier. If you're tithing and things are going crazy, I'm sure the enemy's getting a little freaked out that you're putting your faith and your trust in God with your 10%. But don't grow weary in well-doing because he is faithful to finish what he starts. And here's also what we know with our 90% that we can find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. This is New Testament, by the way, not Old Testament as if it mattered anyway. But it says in verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor their righteousness endures forever verse 10 now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You can't afford to tithe. Let me just tell you, you can't afford to not invest in kingdom principles because when you give your 10%, scripture is very clear. Something supernatural begins to happen. He will give seed to the sower. And if he can trust you to give it, he can trust you to receive it. but I can't afford to tithe. 90 blessed is better than 100 stressed. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to trust God with your 10%. Trust God with your 10%. Next week, we have a great opportunity to give big. You know, in, in the Bible, the tithe, they had three kinds of tithe. I didn't go over that today, but one of, one of the tithes was for the Levites and the priest, meaning 10% of your income goes just to the preacher. <laughs> How's that? I wish that were still the case. Ten, another tithe, 10% goes to all the feasts and, and festivals, meaning all the church, work, church events, missions, outreach, those kinds of things. 10% would go to that. Then every three years they had a, a tithe, a tenth of the income would go just to help the poor. So there would be a, a 10% collection of all that we own, all that we own, including, you know, like cars, homes, every, all that we own. And then we would, we would give it to the poor. We don't do that as a church anymore. We don't work out those kinds of tithing, but the 10% we still do. 
I know there are questions, silly questions like, well, is it gross or net, right? We, we, have, we can get all into the, the nitty gritty. To me, it's a heart issue. It's a heart posture. Are you just being consistent? Be consistent with what you're giving. Isn't it funny though, Ramona, people will say, is it gross or net? Like the gross is I make this, but then government takes all this and then this is what the money that I actually have. So do I just tithe on that? Cause that's the only money that I have to use. And I think to myself, do you do that when you're going to apply for a car loan? What do you use when, you're, when you want something? You're like, oh, I make this much money, right? You include the gross because you want to you prove that you can pay back the loan. But then when we're talking about God and what's due God's and what's in our hand, we shave off and we call the net what is in our hand. We're actually more honest with the people of this world than we are the creator of our life. But that's neither here nor there. I suppose I'd just like us all to really be compelled to be consistent with our giving, whether that's 1%, 2%, 10%. We know scripture says 10%, but start somewhere because God loves our process. You have tithe up to 10% after 10% is offering. So 11, 12, 13%, anything above that is offering. But there's also this kind of giving in scripture, one time big gift. And that's what we're doing next week. Next week, we have a legacy offering, and I'm asking you to bring your best gift, a gift that hurts a bit. Talk with your spouse. Be in unity. Like, don't, don't upset your home. That's not what this is about at all. Don't take out a second mortgage on your home. That's not what this is about at all. Don't, don't like, get rid of stuff unless you feel like the Lord is calling you to do that. I'm just asking you to dream big with us next week at the legacy offering. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to partner on equal footing, equal terms with every person here, 10%. My 10% is the same amount of contribution as their 10%. God, it just takes faith. God, you are faithful to provide seed to the sower. And so God, I, I ask that over the next seven days and people watching online that they will be moved to the truth of your word. God, that you are faithful to complete what you said you're going to do as we trust you, as we continue, Father, to give you our first fruits, the first 10%. God, we know that the supernatural is going to shift some things in our life and in our world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen.